interrupt our program to bring you this important message. <laughs> Man, let me tell you, almost dying because you mess up reading the surf <laughs> when you're on the beach, knowing that two Canadians drowned the day before, that is way worse than running through houses, chasing dudes down alleyways in the middle of nowhere, Chicago, or in Iraq. <laughs> the, the art of almost self-dying by stupidity, <laughs> is it's, it's wild. And I'll tell you the story. So I knew that we were, that the beach was rowdy, right? And this is in a small town on the West Coast of Mexico. We knew the beach was rowdy, and we knew this because the reports came out that two Canadian guys had drowned, right? They found their bloated bodies floating right where the tides were shifting, so they didn't get washed out, but they also didn't stay close to shore, right? So, like, when, when the lifeguards come out to, to, like, scan the beaches for whatever, when they open the beaches, they do that. They'll, they'll take the boats out, the jets, and then they'll kind of squirt around just to see what's going on and see how mushy or dirty the water is, and then they throw their flags, right? So we get there, and... It, Everyone's like, oh, cool. The water's not so bad. So I'm out there, whatever, right? Long day. I'm swimming. I get washed out. And I get washed pretty hard, like one or two rolls in this thing. And I look over to the beach and it's four to 500 meters away. And I'm like, Jesus. And I'm already tired, right? I'm already tired. And I start <laughs> thinking like, hey, I need to get back. So in my tissue, my panic, I start swimming straight back, which is terrible idea right you're supposed to swim on an angle right so then i after i atrophied myself so i have nothing left and it, here's the scary part right when you have nothing left and you start to come to terms like man i made some horrible decisions being out here i'm, I'm <laughs> sinking and drowning i'm super tired you're just like this is the dumbest thing this is embarrassing for my family what are they gonna think right they just find you all bloated and lazy because you could swim your ass back in and this is fucked up to say, I know that I'm almost dying, but looking back now, it's pretty funny. But here's the cool part. Uh, I'm atrophying. I'm swimming out. I'm, I'm smoked. I'm spent. I can't even swim anymore. I'm kind of just like just bobbing in the water, still getting creamed by these waves. And I do like a spin around just to see what's around me, hoping that I'm getting washed off to one of the edges or somewhere near uh, a cliffside or something. Uh, and there's this little dude on a boogie board, man. He couldn't be any more than 10, 11 years old. No fucking shit. Now, I was spooked. I was like, whoa, cool. So I start waving him down. He comes over, kind of just looks at me, and I look at him. I didn't really have any words. I was just tired, and he could tell. And so he shares the boogie board with me. We're both kind of floating on this thing, getting creamed wave after wave, wave after wave. But he, we paddle in, right? And I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't freak him out. So you know if you would come to help somebody and they start, like, hogging the boards from you, you'd kind of be like, hey, man. Get off my shit. I know I would. You guys? Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, get off my shit up. Never mind. I'm not saving your ass. Uh, but, but I was trying to be patient with him. He's patient with me. He gets me to where I can touch the, the sand, the bottom of the of the floor there. And I'm like, knee, neck deep in water. And I'm like, man, it's completely toast, dude. And I'm looking around. Uh, so I get about waist deep. And I start looking around because now I can, like, form a thought. I'm no longer in fear of my life because I'm, you know, waist deep in water, not neck deep. <laughs> And I'm looking for this kid, and he's fucking gone, dude. I couldn't find this guy. Um, very similar to when you chase people and they get away, right? <laughs> they're just gone. You're like, where the fuck did they go? They go in these tunnels go like Mars. <laughs> they're gone. Like, just, I'll get them next time. But they, they just disappear around corners and in weird abandoned buildings in Chicago. But they, I try to look for him because I want. I was grateful, right? I, I tell this story just because it's, it's a great story as far as uh, – remembering how easily a decision can 
go the wrong way, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I couldn't find them. And I, I tell that story to the locals, and they said that sometimes the pelicans transform themselves so that they can help people, and then they go back to being pelicans. Mm-hmm. So I was like, fuck, that's pretty neat, right? Yeah. Local lore, right? Yeah. And, so I went and, and I went and bought wow. a little hand pelican and i still have that little shit hanging out at the house here as a as a, as a memento um with like broken hands or mementos from punching bad dudes in the head like my right hand fucking <laughs> wrecked, um scars and scabs from other all the other random shit but uh that hit me harder uh and i tell that story more than having guns in my face and being tackled by three dudes and in the wrong place at the wrong time kind of stuff uh because <laughs> that was like my bad. I shouldn't have done this. I knew better. <laughs> right, right. Dudes, you just don't know what you're going to get, right? You might get a complete just freak out runner, a complete give up. He's just tired. I got asthma. Yeah. goes down, right? Uh, and then yeah. you get the fighters, and you just never know. Mm-hmm. But uh, I tell that story just because it, it's wild to make decisions um, in life uh, <laughs> that yeah. can lead, to, lead the wrong way. Hey, so, and when you, when you woke up and saw the news the next day, is that when the kid washed up on shore? So, no, we already knew about the Canadians. Oh, no, no, no. I was saying the kid. You said this kid just, like, flat out disappeared. <laughs> I was like, oh, uh, he drowned. That's <laughs> Some big I'm dude stole like, his boogie man, board, man. Out. I'm, like, yeah. putting a mystery together, like, oh, yeah. he drowned. Uh, I just yeah, I, I saw the families with the shirts. They made shirts for him, you know? Yeah. Missing boogie board, child left alone. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's dude, that's cool. You actually run across stories like that all the time where people – in car crashes and stuff where some stranger comes over. And a lot of times it's like someone who has medical, um, you know, background or, or they, you know, put some bandage tourniquet, they do something and then they bounce, man. And it's always pretty yeah. cool when, when it's an angel, talking. man, no doubt about yeah. it. Yeah. Hey, you said it and I'll back it a hundred percent. It has yeah. to been something magical. And so ever since then, I, I never stopped uh, pursuing the things that I thought were going to be cool and doing man shit. And, and now it's like, you can't even say man shit anymore because everybody gets butthurt about stuff, but that's what it was. I was like, I'm going to live to the fucking fullest and do exactly what I need to be and fulfill all the little things that I think are important. Cause that was about, I was about to punch out and I was like, this sucks. I didn't yeah. get everything done. <laughs> <laughs> Not, yeah. Yeah. Hey, ski, you know who we got in here. You know who we're talking to. I want everybody else to know who it is. It's Raul Martinez. Storyteller extraordinaire, man of adventure, <laughs> founder of Rogue Methods, uh, former military, former Chicago cop, former Arizona uh, law enforcement, philosopher, and the best part of everything, man, when I first started following him on Instagram, was his power of positivity. Pushing PMA and puts out like really, really cool stuff especially in the stories he'll drop stuff from comic art to philosophy to training videos of what they're doing. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. And when I saw some of his training, I'm like, this dude right here is disrupting that flat range. Let's just get a pistol, shoot some paper and check a box and say, we're done. It's like, no, no, no. This stuff's going to be moving, you know, running and gunning, simunitions, like mixing everything. So we've been trying to plan this for a while. So I'm I'm excited, man. I'm glad that uh, he was able to make it tonight. So it's a good deal. Yeah, happy to be here. I know it's been a while. We've been th- talking about this for for a long time, actually. Yeah, I think probably one of the first times I told you, like, eventually we're gonna have a podcast. Like, eventually, everybody's like, dude, you've been saying that for like a year, but it's all about <laughs> prepping the objective, like planning, get your stuff lined up. 
That's right. And then let's get it going. So take us back, man, if you will, to growing up, like what it was like when you were growing up, man. What was life like? Where were you? See, so, so grew up in Chicago. I was born and raised in Chicago, south side of Chicago in Pilsen, if anybody knows the area. And it was predominantly Hispanic. So <laughs> we'll get into a little bit of race stuff here just because it's fucking hilarious. Yeah. Um, it were segregated, right? Um, by social class and by racial ethnicities, I guess. It, it was the Mexicans hung out with the Mexicans and a little bit of like the, the Ecuadorian dude, whatever, all the other Hispanic ones, right? Um, Mexicans are the main primary in Chicago at the time. And then, or the primary race, there's some Puerto Ricans, but they don't count. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, and then you got, you had the black right next to us. So black people and Hispanic people, we were always fighting, but it was never anything racial, man. I didn't grow up thinking of them as like anything different than, hey, they live over there. We fuck with them. They fuck with us. We fight. And then we shake hands afterwards. It was really cool. Uh, I don't think people get that, get a chance to do that now. And it's kind of sad because it, it was, it was a unique experience. Uh, for us and it was it would be that it would be like the hispanic community the black community and then more hispanic community, and the more black community and it was just like these patches and patterns right super close to cabrini green the the infamous right uh cabrini green ghettos and it was just the thing like people were cool back then uh but chicago was fun we grew up in a all hispanic community so like i don't think i had to speak english until i had to speak english in school <laughs> so it, it, spanish was my first language english was my second language though so born in chicago and my dad kind of did like this swipe maneuver he took me to mexico because they needed help right i guess in mexico to, to raise the cattle we come from a cattle raising family and everybody's a butcher and everybody slaughters animals like we had the slaughterhouse that was what we were known for in mexico and so born in chicago raised in mexico for quite a few years how old was that when i came back i came back after diapers so it was probably like four or five three or four or five i don't know i probably wore diapers longer than most people because i was lazy when i was a kid um, <laughs> but uh no i had lear i learned everything how to eat how to talk everything in mexico uh, i was watching cows get slaughtered ever since i i could remember and uh, it was a cool, cool upbringing. It really made me appreciate things later in life. But uh, came back to Chicago, grew up there, uh, started school, did school, conventional public schools like every kid does, right? Running when you're the only one and not getting your shit stolen from the other kids that wanted to steal your fucking Michigan pullover starter jacket. I fought so many times for that fucking thing. Uh, eventually, I got my ass beat and I lost it, but we got it back. But it wasn't the same anymore, right? Because those starter jackets gold. were gold back in the day, man. Dude, you remember that? I love <laughs> so it. Over those nostalgia. Fucking yeah, you dropped the zipper and the starter patches right in that center, boy. Yeah, man. man it yeah, it was. It was a good time. Uh, so uh, it was a lot of that. I'm sorry, man. I walked out first. Quite what? Uh, no white people living in Chicago. So, yes, but I, man, I don't think I saw a white person until uh, first grade or second grade. I had kindergarten. The teachers were white. <laughs> so, who are these yeah. people? So, this They're, is like, this is, this is what's fascinating to me. I, you can hear from my accent that obviously I didn't grow up in Chicago, New York, or, or anywhere like, you know, where they had buildings. <laughs> but where, where I grew up in the South, like, everything was like, I don't know, intermingled. Like we, like our schools, everything. And it was mostly black and white, you know, 60, 40, maybe. So 60% white, 40% black. Uh, but, but now the area where we're at has changed completely. Like we've got people moving from 
all over the country and then all over the world. But that's what always fascinates me. It's like we have the stereotype down here of being because we we were obviously in history segregated. But like I grew up in the 80s and 90s. So everything was not it wasn't segregated. All the, the neighborhoods and stuff were starting to everybody's starting to move around and, and intermingle. So it's crazy when I hear people from Chicago and, and New York, too. I think New York was still kind of that way, too, where everything's like blocked off. And, and you've got like you've you were kind of mentioned like everybody grows up in like these three or four block radius. And like, that's it. Like, like you don't go outside of that. And it's a that real radius. thing to this day. Like I, mm. I had a I had a female officer. So fast forward. Right. I'm a copper in mm -hmm. Chicago now. And I had a female officer and she was platinum blonde, blue eyed, five, six. Right. And we go to a house call. A domestic call and we get there and these these three little black kids are in the back room like peeking over the corner like fascinated and mm -hmm. i'm like what's up with the kids like what, are they okay like they i didn't know if it was they were like nervous scared fascinated they were just in awe of something and it wasn't the police i'm sure they've dealt with the police before yeah. and uh <laughs> the the mom goes back there and she comes back and she's like hey can the kids come up and touch you they, they were talking to my partner now uh -huh. and touch your hair They've never seen a white person, a blonde white person in their lives. And these kids yeah. are about five, six, seven. And this is yeah. now 2013, 2014. But <laughs> dude, people do live in these tiny little, little small areas and they don't leave it. So imagine yeah. kids that have never in person seen a white person seven years into their lives. Like it, it's not segregated because the city is that way. People right. segregate themselves, man. It's just the way it is. Like you want to be close to their people. Yeah. 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 That you know, the cool thing I want to point out is for people that have never been in law enforcement before, man, think about that challenge for for that female officer, right? Like just the situations you get thrown into as a police officer, it's insane. And just some of the stuff that you try and explain to people like, Yeah, they've never seen white people before. Like people wouldn't even believe that story. Yeah. I bet it's, it's hard crazy. for people to believe because they, they just haven't seen it. And that's why it's important that we have these podcasts. Man. So again, thank you for, for having me on here where we can share these random little tidbits that are only going to be asked by guys like you. Not everybody understands the deal. So it's important, man. These little stories, they, they remind us how big and how small the world fucking really is, depending on. Uh, and I'm just going to fucking say it, the level of education that is provided to you as a child. Absolutely. Yeah. And experience, man. So, so many people have this, this truth, right? And it's because they've never experienced anything other than what they think the truth is, man. So like life experience just really plays into that too. It's crazy. Or, or like, I'm sure like you were just saying, so, so for this officer, she steps into this world that for her, she's, she's almost maybe trying to play catch up. Like what's, you know, what's going on here? Like, you know, <laughs> And so now she is is basically representing everything that they see, this you know, white, uh, blonde-haired female. And so if she's nice and kind, then the image is, oh, okay, <laughs> the next person I see with blonde hair, you know, uh, in a uniform, female, whatever, Caucasian, should be nice, right? You know what I'm saying? It's like I would never really think about that, like where, where I work and where I grew up because – like I said, everything's just kind of intermingled. It's just you don't think about stuff like that. It's it's kind of bizarre, especially nowadays. That that is actually a really good point, though. It it, it that's going to be the lasting or the last impression they have of an actual encounter, right? So it can mm -hmm. it can pave the way for how they're going to be. So we always try to treat people the best that we could, 
until you stop deserving it, man. And that's just the way I treat people. You know, you, you have my full respect because one, I respect myself and that's where it mm -hmm. all stems from, right? How we respect ourselves is how we treat others. Uh, but I'm not going to let you violate my moral compass with your stupidity long mm -hmm. enough for you to change the way I feel about myself. So you start acting silly, I start treating you exactly the way you <laughs> want to be treated. <laughs> man, that, that is well put right there. Yeah. So the, the, like the one root cause, I guess that like ski and I used to see, and, and fortunately you don't see it a whole lot anymore. Um, but would be like the insecurity in a new officer, you know, new officer gets, gets out of the car to get on the beat or the block or whatever, like the hot spot, you know, so pick any city it's got, you know, areas or hubs where, um, the violence is occurring or dudes are posted up selling, but you see like the, uh, the young officers who, either have some really good experience growing up. They've got some kind of strong background, uh, you know, in, in some type of fighting hell, if it's nothing more than street fighting, but I mean, they've, they've at least mixed it up a little bit <laughs> in a parking lot, in a cut, like somewhere, a trailer park, apartment complex, like they've fought in the street before, or they've got some kind of, some kind of like military background or something where when they get out of the car, their, their insecurities don't control their actions kind of like what you said is like, you respect yourself enough. So it's almost, it's weird how, like when I first got into police work, I saw some senior officers at times who still had that insecurity because, like because gangs were just starting to really hit the block. And these, and these officers, the older officers were insecure because they had no clue about the gang members and they had no clue like how to address the problem. It was like, I have to control every encounter or control everything about the block where us like ski myself and our, our cohorts that were, were just starting to get into it had just had a different approach, you know, and, and most of us just kind of carried ourselves differently, but I don't know. I'm hoping that like this generation, this, this signing up now, so to speak, these last few years, like those are the true believers who are like, okay, <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of like joining the military after nine 11. It's like, okay, yeah. I know what I'm getting into and I'm all about it. I'm not, I'm a true believer. You know, this is just kind of what my heart tells me to do and I'm going to do it. So it's kind of cool to see that now. And I'm hoping that's going on across the country, like in the cities and stuff where people who are stepping up are like the true believers, you know, who are, who are serious about police work and not, Hey, I want to get a job where I get good benefits and can just sit in the parking lot and watch Netflix and drink coffee or something. I think that's going to be 30% of the new hires are going to be the bad ones where they just want a job and they want, because I know a bunch of them that said that even in my academy class, there was a lot of that chatter there. They were saying those things. And then you had the other small percentage that were like, this is why I want to do this. And then you have legacy people too. And those are always tricky, right? Because they can be jaded mm -hmm. pretty quickly or they can spiral into this beautiful thing. Uh, they, they typically fast track to become supervisors and then lieutenants and then have influence um, because of the legacy. Chicago is still very much a who you know kind of place, or at least it was before I left. Uh, and the DOJ got there and started putting their, their finger in people's butts, which was hard <laughs> to, to monitor, right? So yeah. it, it was weird. But it, that influence, that, that influx of people, and I saw it too with some of the old-timers, especially the guys. So as you get older, you transition into different roles, right? And a lot of our older dudes would drive the paddy wagons, right? Mm -hmm. And it was a good role for them, right? All the patrol coppers go do their thing. All the tag teams do their thing. And then the paddy shows up to transport. Awesome. Then the cars can be freed up and you don't have to take up a cage in a car, right? And just mm -hmm. bring it and then you process it. 
So that was a good spot for those dudes. Usually you'd have one or two per shift. So it was cool to have, and it's two man, two man per. So it's, it works well for those guys, but they had the same, that same feel like, Hey, we're getting older, but the gang age doesn't fucking change, man. It's 18 to right. There's not even 18. It's like 13 to maybe 21 if they're still alive and, or not in jail. And that demographic stays pretty consistent across the board, across the, the neighborhoods, but the coppers get older and older and older and older, right? We just get new guys that aren't as tough as the older guys, but the older guys don't want to get beat up. They don't want to get roughed up anymore. Uh, they do way better command and control with, you know, just controlling the environment by talking, but still, uh, at least how we were seeing it, like the older dudes were just like, Oh shit. Uh, cause gangs stay the same age. It's like that Matthew McConaughey, right? <laughs> what do I like about high school girls? I get older, they stay the same age. Yeah. So BC and I always talk about this, man, because proactive policing over the last, make, we'll call it five years, has gone out the door, right? And we're seeing the effects of it now. It's It's been a slow creep in, but like uh, major cities are chaos right now. So part of our reason and, and want to even do a podcast where we do get to talk about law enforcement stuff and all that is to hopefully inspire young officers or people that are looking to get into law enforcement to like go in for the right reason and go and do some badass stuff like we've got to do and like go do police work. Right. So my question for y'all is how do we even start to encourage people to like go in and not just, Oh, this is a nine to five or this is just a job or I want to get that desk job ASAP. Like we need dudes out there that want to run and gun that want to get in a foot chase that want to get in a car chase, not for the wrong reasons, but just to go out there and, and let these criminals know like, Hey man, 10 cops might drive by you, but not me. I'm going to stop tonight and I'm going to get out and I'm going to talk to you. Like, how do we encourage people and teach them to do that? So I, man, it's tough because I think this needs to be somewhere. And, and I do this a lot in my stuff with, uh, with the people who come to my courses and my training. Uh, I try to do a, a one-on-one influence for where I share the stories and I, I talk about how cool it was and you'll experience things, man, that nobody will ever get to experience unless you do the job. And there are still a lot of young guys and I get a lot of these questions and gals that, that hit me up about it. And I think we have a better influence on that than on a big, broad audience, right? It, it, it's tough for, for us to make an influence just via social media and posts and things like that. Because there's always more questions, right? That's why I get those questions. It'll be somebody who follows me and then they're like, oh, I saw you were a cop. And then you get one question. Why'd you decide to be a cop? And then another question, like, what would you say to this guy if he wanted to be a cop? So now you know you've piqued their interest, right? Out of all the other people who didn't ask you Jack, right? Now you have these people asking. So what I've been doing to, to influence and help is if anybody approaches me with that question, I give them a deep dive into all the cool shit and the madness that ensues being a copper and the levels of things that nobody told me were available as a cop, right? Everybody thinks you either go in and you're, you're a patrol guy, you're a detective, you're a SWAT dude. There's so much other shit. You got the Intel guys, you got, man, you got narcotics, which was like, <laughs> you're an untouchable with a badge and a gun and playground. You're dope. It's just, the whole city is like a fucking playground. It's amazing. <laughs> I remember going home, changing, yep. jumping in another car, dropping that car off to pick up another dude to go spend another 18 hours just riding around the city, seeing what we can get into with no supervision because your supervisor respects you and understands that you know how to do your job. Like that level of freedom and that experience, man, that's life changing. To It's life changing in the sense that you can talk to people about it and you probably write a book about it and it'd be awesome. 
Uh, but unless you live it, and there's nothing like that. There's nothing like walking around like you're on top of the fucking world. And the only way to get it is to be a good copper in one field, be recognized in another field, and then recruited and brought in for the right reasons, right? So coming in and being willing to do anything and everything, because it's just going to show you stuff. It's going to teach you your job, their job. It's going to teach you the bad guy's role. I think another big thing for coppers, young coppers, so if you guys are listening, fucking learn what you're doing. Learn who's your audience, right? And your audience isn't your peers. Like they're there to help. They're there to evaluate you. Learn your audience and you'll be super successful as a cop. Figure out what the local gangs are. Figure out what rapper they're listening to. Figure out what's what's going on. Is there a bad batch of fucking dope somewhere? All these little things, man, feed so much information that people ignore because they're above it. I would see it with some of my copper friends. And there's a huge difference between city-raised kids that become cops and college-raised kids from the suburbs that come and become cops in the city. Uh, they have no idea about gang violence, drugs, hot loads. They don't know any of that, right? They're learning it, and they're going to get really good at it eventually because they always did. It was super impressive to see. But the streets are your biggest ally. I know that they're the enemy, quote-unquote, but they're not because the fucking streets are awesome, especially if you play it correctly. And you can gain a lot of respect by respecting people. Man, I've been in chases where I'm scruffing. I'm, like, fighting this dude. After I catch him, and then another big guy from the neighborhood comes out, and he just yells at him. He's like, "Stop, motherfucker! Stop fighting with him! <laughs> yeah. Just fucking lay there." And then I could put, and I look over like, "What the fuck?" But because I treated that guy fucking like a fucking gentleman, I'm like, "Hey, guy, you're parked next to a fire hydrant. I just need you to move. I don't want to deal with this, and I don't. I know you don't want to deal with this, and you don't want them to come over here and start writing a ticket without even addressing you." He's like, "Oh man, I appreciate that." Right? Drives off, and that's the same dude who comes out and now backs you up. You yeah. can get so much more from from the community i'll stop calling it the streets right for well fuck it whatever the streets is the community so those two things merge together if done well will teach you how to be the best cop possible for whatever region you're working yes man so, yeah. <laughs> that's I that, love, that's man, you just hit on yeah. so many things like this is so awesome because yeah. so i was the the suburban kid that you know grew up in the suburbs and I, man i didn't know shit about gangs and all this and that but as a rookie, I got thrown into like one of the worst beats in the city I worked in. Uh, my very first day off field training, I trained in like kind of a nice area. First day off field training, though, like, hey, this is your beat. This is your car. Like, just go take a ride down there. And I had one of those like, what the fuck did I get into moments where it was just like, this is interesting. But man, the way I looked at it is because I was a police officer, that was the only reason I was allowed in that neighborhood. So, like, I couldn't just go down there with curiosity and just ride through and say, yeah, hey, just curious what this neck of the woods looked like. But <laughs> I was like, damn, I was given a golden opportunity to, to like, immerse into a whole nother culture, a whole nother, you know, we called it the hood, the bad part of the, the city yeah. where, you know, we were working. Everybody on the street just referred, oh, you in the hood, you in the hood. So, like, I got to go hang out in the hood for 12 hours a day. And I did, I've never been in the hood until I was a cop, right? So, you know, to your point, man and and dude i just immersed in it and i became obsessed with it so and and i'm i'm glad you said too where kids who grew up in the suburbs become cops and then have to they, it's like a learning curve where they have to learn how shit operates on the street the coolest thing to see is when a kid comes from that kind of background and, I, and i'm thinking of one person in particular and this guy has had a masters degree in communication and so when he would talk, it sounded like he was like a college professor, like a PhD. 
So I go in and I'm, I'm teaching like a gang course in the academy. And it's just kind of like an intro. Hey, these are all the sets in the city. This is how we identify things. These are some of the hand signs, you know, just very basic. But he was absorbing it, taking it all in. And so I knew then like, okay, he's learning. He'll be genuine on the street and everybody will still be cool with him because he won't disrespect people. If that makes sense, like he's not going to get out of the car and 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 just be like a, a loud mouth or that insecure guy. And as soon as he gets off field training, everybody is like, man, this guy's like got magic, man. When he gets out of the car and people want to fight, he walks over and just says a few words to them and everybody calms down, you know. And I'm like, well, he, he's got a master's degree in communication. So I'm, I'm hoping that that's what he's doing is like he's learning how to communicate with people. But it, but it was fascinating to him to learn a new part of the state, a new part of the city like that, and then to be able to get out and talk to people and then people to you know open up and tell him things. Because one of the things that I always say, like for especially for people in field training, when you're rolling around in a neighborhood, and especially like if you come from the suburbs and then your, your main area, say Section 8 apartments or Section 8 housing, and it's like this whole whole new world that you're patrolling in. Ninety percent of the population you're not going to see. You're going to deal with that ten percent of the population that needs the most attention. Like the same apartment building, the same house, the same trailer. You're going to go to the same places over and over. So I always tell rookies, like, "Hey, see that dude cutting grass, or see that dude hanging out right there at the mailbox? Go talk to him. Just say, hey, how you doing? He's going to talk to you respectfully, and he's going to move on. You're never going to have to arrest that guy. He works for a living." But you got to talk to people and remember, okay, this neighborhood, 90% of it, everybody wants to be left alone. That 10% are the ones that are terrorizing everybody. You know what I mean? Like that, that idea. And for anybody out there who wants to be a cop and they're, and they're going to say college, I, this is just me, sociology, foreign language, psychology. Like if you're going to go to college, like study something like that, like, a lot of times criminal justice, they're, they're going to teach you that in the academy. If you can learn a foreign language, uh, 100%, like, like most definitely. But I want to, I want to ask the, one of the things like, so when you when you were in Chicago, you were with, you mentioned like a drug unit, right? So I'm assuming that's like plain clothes or, or like just covert surveillance, all that. Yeah, it's a good yeah. blend of all of those. I don't know. Did you finish your question? I'm sorry. No, no. I was just going to say, if you could walk through and just kind of like explain to people, one, like how you got there, like what, what did you do on patrol to get yourself there? Kind of like you mentioned earlier, it was, it's still kind yeah. of legacy, but I don't, I don't get the legacy vibe with you. I kind of get a different vibe. So, <laughs> well, I'll tell you, man, I didn't even want to be a cop. So mm -hmm. we'll start with that. So I don't even have the, the, the only interaction I had with, with law enforcement growing up was, running <laughs> and getting fucked with because yeah that's what it was yeah. so but i knew how they did things and i always re i always reference those in my mind my memories of how i was interacted with so i never had a bad interaction and it's it's probably because and you said it without saying it's key you said uh you were invited into these places where you wouldn't normally be invited so you're it's almost like a privilege to fucking be there and if you mm -hmm. see it that way now you're like, okay, cool. I have this fucking golden ticket to see a fucking side of this world that nobody's ever going to get to see. Why not take advantage of that and learn the most that I can? So when you were saying that, I was like, yeah, it's a privilege, man. I now remember feeling it was privileged to being, 
to see the underground of the city and never hanging out there when I was off duty because I knew how bad those neighborhoods were. Even though there was like a great local restaurant, right? I'd still be like, no, I can't even go there because I've bought dope before. I've been on a team that was buying dope before there and I'm probably, it's just not a good idea. But it, it's an absolute privilege, man, to have been able to do that. And with that mentality and that style of, of policing, you go a long way. So hopefully this actually, this, this uh, podcast inspires dudes to jump in and go be law dogs. Cause it's such a cool, fun experience if you're willing to do the work. Um, yeah. I used to, I used to tell people all the time, like, Hey man, I have to be here for 12 hours. This is just, this is where I'm assigned to work. So you're going to be here too. So we might as well figure out how to coexist, right? You don't, we don't have to like each other, but we have to have some type of mutual respect so we can get through day to day. Cause you're going to get tired of seeing me. I'm going to get tired of seeing you. So let's work this out. You know, if you say yeah. that to like a gang member, they remember you, they remember the cop that came up and said, all right, man, like let's, let's have some kind of truce or handshake, you know, like you still go be a cop and you still go be a drug dealer and a gang member and somebody sticking a gun in people's face. But like, we have to have a mutual understanding of how this all works. You know, yeah, it's levels and layers, man, levels and layers and, and being good, at, good to people, even though we like to separate ourselves, right? Like bad guys, good guys, whatever. Uh, geez, some of these people are just they're, they're You haven't caught them doing anything wrong. So they're still good guys, technically. Right. But, they, you know, and they know that somewhere down the line, somebody's going to get caught for something or you're not going to see something and they're going to get away with it. So it's just this back and forth game like, hey, you didn't catch me on anything this time. And I remember catching dudes and they'd be like, yeah, you got me. I, I slipped on that one or I shouldn't have hit my baby mama knowing that I have these other two fucking charges. Like, and they're like, yeah, I messed up. And those guys, you have another level of respect for because they already know. They already know the game. They, they know what you're there to do. And they're not just going to fight for no reason. Uh, where it's a little different with the younger crowd. They're just fighting for no reason. Um, but I, I did that a lot. I did the interacting, get to know people. To the point where, like, if I wanted a gun, I could just tell so-and-so, or I'll just call Mookie. I'll be like, hey, Mookie, you, I know you you got this DV thing, and you just hit her in the face with a pop can, and you know you're going in. Like, how about we get a we get a nice gun in, fully loaded magazine and everything? And he'd make a phone call. And, and Chicago was infamous for not supposedly having guns, right? There's <laughs> guns everywhere. I had, I had a dude bringing me for him. He called it up, brought a, uh, he brought a gun and a little – Walgreens gift bag and put it next to a dumpster next to the police station, fully loaded and everything so that we can work with him to get him off the new case that he had is hilarious, but building that rapport. And I think that spread at the Academy when I was teaching at the Academy before leaving and coming to, to Arizona, the, the guys that were kind of, I don't want to say they didn't like me or they didn't mind me. Cause I don't know that for a fact, the guys who didn't favor me, they weren't my, my besties, right? We didn't fist pump and do all that good stuff. They would call me the, the, the two-year wonder. Every two years, it seemed I was going somewhere different. And that was my whole thing because, like I said, I never wanted to be a cop. I, I kind of stumbled onto the role, and it, it ended up being one of the cooler things I've ever done. But it was post-military, post-contracting. I get on the job, and I go through probation. You go through probation. I didn't want to be class commander. That's another one. And I ended up becoming class commander. I was like, damn it, I didn't want to do this, right? And so I ended up doing that. Uh, and shout out to Trung. I don't know if you guys follow We Go Home, that whole stuff, that whole company. Uh, no? So no. they're pretty cool. They're out of Chicago. Trung's a former ranger. And we were in one class academy away from each other. 
So now he's out here doing cool shit. Chicago SWAT. I went the narcotics route because I like the dingy underground shit. I don't want to wear yeah. it. Run around doing that shit. Like, whatever. That's lame. That's like that whole, like, you wear too much stuff. I want to wear less stuff and run around. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so, um, but yeah, I, I built a good reputation for working hard. And some people like it. Some people don't, right? That's just the way it is. Uh, and more than anything, I think it was intimidation that, knowing that they could have done it, but they didn't choose the route to go that hardcore to be recognized for it. That's how I see it, right? I don't see jealousy. I don't see those things. I see it more as it's it's an intimidation that they could have done the same, but they chose not to. So they're kind of kicking themselves in the ass. And that's how I leave it. And so I, I started to get recognized. They knew I had a military background. They knew I was doing reconnaissance. They knew I knew how to do good comms and pick up dudes and talk to dudes and not necessarily flip dudes because we weren't really flipping anybody on patrol, but I could talk to people and get things done street level stuff. And so when it came up, I was in the paddy wagon one night taking a shift over for somebody else. The dude's like talking about his friends. He's about to retire. He knows everybody. And I was like, Hey, you know anybody in narcotics? And he's like, Oh yeah, my buddy. So-and-so he's a sergeant. He's got his own team. I was like, Oh man, that'd be a cool place to go. I'll tell you that. And he's like, Oh, okay. So we had that little bit brief conversation carried on through the night. And I, I, that's how I planted the seed. I started chatting with him more and more. And I was like, hey, any chance you could pass my name along to, to your, your buddy? And he's like, call him right now. Boop, boop, boop. Calls him up. He's like, oh, I want you to meet this guy. He's looking awesome. Blah, young guy, military. Blah, super stoked to be you know, putting people together. And that's what I'm saying. He was a good old boy. So he's putting people together. I remember doing a traffic stop with him. And the dude was fucking, he was tanked. He shouldn't have been driving. The friend. It turns out it was his buddy from high school. And these guys are already like close to being 55, right? Retirement age. And they went to a local school where everybody that goes there either becomes a cop or a fireman. And it's like a legacy school, high school. And so they're friends. And he's like, here, kid, he throws me the keys. Take that car. Are you going to take that car to this address? I'm going to take the paddy wagon with my buddy. Boom, we drive. He's retired, so I can tell the story. It doesn't fucking matter, right? Uh, we take the car. We take my buddy's drunk friend and shit. We drop him off at his house. Fucking good to go. Like, the way I imagined policing would be in a small rural town, we were still doing that, community-based stuff. Uh, dude, I've thrown away so much dope that didn't matter. It was inconsequential dope. Like, you had a dime bag in your pocket. I'm not going to lock you up for that. I'd rather you be my friend for the next two, three other cases that I'm working, right? Or I would, I would fuck with dudes and be like, dude, I call you red-handed. You're, you just lit that blunt, smoke it as fast as fucking possible, and then throw it away. And then be like, yeah. they'd burn that shit to the fucking – burn their fingers off, just try to get that thing burned down. But I would do shit like that. Uh, but that was my reputation is that I, I was good with the community. I, I didn't give a shit about doing stuff. I chased whoever needed to be chased, but I was super polite. No excessive use of force issues. So I would always control the situation be like, all right, do you need any more? You don't? Awesome. Handcuffs. Let's go. And they would always be super grateful for that. Even the guys, when you would rough them up a little bit, they'd be like, okay, cool. You got me. That was the end of that. And I remember other guys talking shit about other cops being a little heavy handed um, because yeah. they were pissed about something. And I get it, right? That's, that's not my problem. That's each individual officer. But yeah, they passed my name along. And then uh, <laughs> that the supervisor, that supervisor came down with his whole team. They're in the parking lot. I shake his hand. I meet him. I tell him who I am, what I'm about. And he's like, hey, cool. Go outside. You're going to meet all the guys. They're going to do a quick interview and see if they like you. I was like, what? Shit. Cool. Let's do it. <laughs> Walked outside. Met all the dudes. You, your mixed bunch of rowdy dudes, man. You name it. They look like either bikers or little Asian crackheads. And <laughs> you name it, man. You had everything on the team. It was fucking awesome. So I met all the guys, a little Hispanic dude, right? Uh, everything. And so I met all the dudes. A couple weeks later, I got loaned into the into the narcotics unit. And then for two years, I was just running around doing 
enforcement, setting up buys, driving Uber cars, uh, pretending to be just an Uber driver, picking up dudes, guns, dope, you name it. It was such a wild ride. And then from there, I, I had a friend who was at the academy. And they were like, hey, there's a spot open on the firearms training team. You want it? And you can't say no, right? You can't be like, yeah. no, I'll do it later because you're not going to get that offer again. <laughs> right. So I never said no to anything. They're like, you want narcotics? Here's a guy. Cool, let's do it. You want tag team? Uh, here's a guy. Do it. Cool, let's do it. And I would always say, so that's why it looked like I was like sidewinding mm -hmm. into all these positions. But it's whenever something came up, I would never say no. Or I would avoid saying no, and I'd just say yes. Even though I was like, I love the narcotics thing. I love the 18-hour days, 20-hour days, changing clothes two times a day, changing into different cars. That shit's so badass, man. Pissing and in bottles. <laughs> yeah. And it was – you name it, it's everything, right? And so trial by fire. Again, the narcotics team. I know it's fast tracking. I'm talking a lot. I'm sorry, guys. But uh, this, yeah. I'm – I get on the narcotics team and it's trial by fire. They're like, let's see if you can do everything you say you can do. Here's this fucking surveillance car. Park on this corner. These are our two by officers. Relay everything that you see. And when it's time to do a takedown. I was like, what? I've never done this before. I mean, I've done it, but I've never done yeah. it in America for you guys. Right? I've done it in Australia, Barbados, Jamaica, Miami. I've been in places doing cool shit, but I've never done it here. As, as, as a, It was a trial by fire. They're like, let's see how good you are. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I could hear them laughing because I was relaying everything. White sneakers, white shirt. This guy over here, he's got a hat on, and that motherfucker looked, and he just turned his hat like thinking it was signals and shit. They're like, "Hey, yeah. man, call out. too much, too much information." I was like, "I get it. What, what, what do you want?" He's like, "Just watch our guys." I was like, "Perfect." So it ended up being a good night. We caught a bunch of dudes for heroin. That's when heroin was doing its thing, and then fentanyl right after when the hot loads were coming in, and everybody was dying. So it was cool, man. I did that. That was trial by fire. And right then and there, I was on the team. Boom. Spent two years with them. And then, like I said, shifted over to the firearms training academy and then flipped a coin. And I was in Arizona as a cop or so. It's a wild ride, man. And I encourage the young male females, to, to male and females to jump in and, and give it a whirl. What's the worst that could happen, right? You might not like it after two, three years. Fucking go do something else. The problem, I think, with career-based um opportunities is people marry the idea and then they feel like they can't leave or it's a waste i know a bunch of people that were cops for two years and then they went to do something else and then they were just as successful at something else um but they had to try it out for themselves i think people just they feel like they have to commit to 20 years i've never uh, every five years i do something fucking different i don't know what it is right it's active duty right around five years and then reserve time right around five years and then contracting two years and then law enforcement right around five years it was exactly five years in chicago and then almost five or a year in arizona and then i started training in the training industry and that's been my big jam now but dude now working for myself there's i could never go back to working for somebody else but be a cop it's a good job <laughs> all i'm gonna say is if you're listening take notes and slow down and just listen to everything he just said because he touched on so much stuff man like we just met 40 minutes ago man but like this is the guy i want to work with like he yeah. gets it you either get it or you don't in police work man and just like everything you're saying just resonates so good with uh with bc and i man it's like that's yeah. the guy we need on our squad man. yeah like, yeah so with, man that, that's yeah. so cool dude the so the whole idea when you're talking about changing assignments too you wouldn't have got you you would not have gotten that shot had you been sitting there and never told that dude like, Oh, that sounds like a good assignment. You know what I mean? Like you, you let people know what you're interested in and then you seek it out. I watch people sit back and, and complain about the assignment they have for whew, five, 10 years, 15 years. And you're like, 
Well, what have you done to manifest your own path? Like what you can't just sit there and answer calls or get an assignment to go somewhere else and then just sit stagnant. It's like, you've, you've always got to be thinking about that next step. And what do you bring? That's, that's the other thing. Like you knew you had assets that you were bringing to a team. There are a lot of people out there that don't, they, they won't try to develop a certain skill set or an additional skill and go, okay, I will be good for your team because whatever, you know, if it's speaking a foreign language, if it's knowing gangs, if it's knowing that neighborhood or good at, you know, gathering Intel or getting information, it's like, just because you've got five years or 10 years on the department does not mean you deserve that spot on, you know, the gang unit or drug unit or whatever. It's like, what are you bringing to the table? Like I always try to be that team player. And I think at least it's always been my experience that the people who are team players and who are not selfish, you know what I mean? Like they're always giving and pulling people aside and helping them. They're always the happiest and they're always, people are always fighting over them to get them to their assignment. You know, like the sergeants, the lieutenants, they're like, it's like almost like the NFL draft. Like how am I going to get that talent either from the academy from patrol or even like, can I just yoke somebody up from, from a drug unit into whatever it is? Uh, and I, I don't know how is Chicago, like where you have to do a test and then become like a detective to get into robbery or homicide or, you know, all these different assignments or how does that work? Yeah, there's, there's two ways about it. And I was going to touch on it cause I, mm-hmm. I, I could have just filled in the blank for that. So you can, cause it's exactly what you're saying. You're never going to get anything you don't ask for, right? Mm-hmm. It's the whole squeaky wheel gets the grease kind of concept. And communication is such an important part of people's lives that I think they kind of just brush it off. If you communicate well with your family, your friends, you tell people what's on your mind and you're honest about things, you can get a shit ton done and you're actually a lot happier because everybody's meeting your expectations, right? Instead of hoping that they're fucking mind readers. Nobody's a mind reader, man. (laughs) Oh, Um, that's good. Yeah. (laughs) People can't guess what you want or what you're thinking, right? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Example, I'm hungry and I don't want to cook when I get home. I'll call home and I'll be like, hey, can you guys start the food so that when I get there, I can start eating? And I'm not a crab ass with you guys. And then they're like, oh, hell yeah, too easy. Boom, I get home, food's fucking ready. Amazing. Who would have thought, right? <laughs> yeah. It's the idea that we can communicate clearly. Uh, but yeah, in Chicago, in Chicago, it was, they had two ways. You can test in for stuff. Some stuff is mandatory testing. So detectives, you have to take a test. Uh, sergeant, lieutenant, all the rank positions, you could, you have to take a test. For narcotics, intelligence, and some of the other things, uh, it's seniority-based and application-based, right? So you have to have a minimum of said years, and then you have to drop a packet, and your packet has to reflect your time in service and all the things you've done for the department up until then. So it's not like you have to come in with all these skills, right? There's different ways to get to the same goal. Luckily for me, I came in with all these skills and attributes, and I didn't I didn't build them specifically for law enforcement. I just did them because I was just living life, learning shit, and it just so happened that I had the right ones, and it worked out well, <laughs> right? And I asked for stuff. Yeah. It's just the way it goes. But uh, you can hit those with anything. You don't have to do military stuff to to do this or do that. You can come in and fill in the blank whenever possible um, based on the guidelines of each department. So, But Chicago did have that. It was a seniority thing. And then uh, you drop a packet and then you go over it. You get interviewed and then you get put on the team if you make the cut. Cool. That's really cool, man. So you, were, you finished up your last couple of years uh, as an instructor with the police department, right? Yes, sir. And then obviously your love for training continued on and you went and started your own training company. So dive into that, man, because I, I, BC and I were both instructors. We both taught at the academy level. We both taught uh, all the ranks of the departments, man. And 
training is just so cool because you get to transfer those skills, man. And even if it just goes to one person and that, that's what gets me so excited about it. But obviously you fell in love with it if you're doing that on your own now. So I want to hear about it, man, because I like all your methods so far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it, 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 Training for me became this thing where I was like, why have enemies when I can have a shit ton of friends? And that's what teaching is to me. Right. And I've met a ton of people who are like, man, I'm standoffish about you. I heard some things and maybe I didn't like you because somebody else told me I didn't like you. But now I met you. Fuck. I just want to hang out with you all day. And I'm like, well, there you go, man. You know, just, you can't dislike people because somebody else said something. And that's that whole like, why have enemies when you can have friends? So I try to do that with everybody. Um, and if you don't, what I found is if people just don't like me, I just, I try not to be around them because I don't want to fuel any sort of animosity for anyone. So I just avoid that whole area because there's a hundred other people that want to hang out and do cool shit. So, you know, put your energy where it, where it belongs. But so I taught, I was, a, I went to, to drill sergeant school and that's where I really fell in love. I was already teaching in the army for the guys who would do combatives and I'd, I'd be like, Hey, let me teach this. And they were like, fuck yeah, go teach this and teach that teach away. And I would always teach the newer dudes. And then drill sergeant school really made me fall in love with teaching because I started to see like really good approaches into teaching and uh, styles of teaching that made sense for me uh, specifically. And so I fell in love with teaching there. I knew I liked it. I already fucking knew I liked it. And that's where I fell in love with it. And I was like, I want to do this later, but how can I get better? Right. So get better at being masterful at the skills that one day you want to teach so that when people ask questions, you have the fucking answer. It's really that simple. Uh, when it comes to skill-based training. And so when I got to the, when I got to the police department, I was already doing stuff and it was already, I had met somebody with solid rank and this is how I ended up teaching at the academy. I met somebody years before I was a cop in a training circle. And they're like, oh man, if you ever want to do police stuff, hit me up. <laughs> so I was already in our casa, and that's when I re, I re, I saw them shook hands again. I was like, Hey, what's up, man? How you been? I, you remember this training we did in like, five years ago before I was even a copper and he's like oh yeah and then he took on a position of authority where he could just make a phone call and put me where I needed to be for the training division and so that's how I ended up teaching in, in Chicago it's through the ranks one being skilled having a good resume uh, being well spoken and being able and willing to present yourself and be like hey I'll do it right now you want me to demo whatever class you want me to teach I'll teach it in front of everybody right now I don't care I'm ready to go that shit goes a long way with instructors right <laughs> so <laughs> I got in there and I was teaching at the academy and it was really cool to see uh, how law enforcement trains versus how military trained and then how the contracting world trained because it's so different, man. And the philosophies are different, right? You go, you come from being military where it's like seek and destroy kind of shit. CQB is very different when you go in and you're like, fuck anything that moves when <laughs> uh, yeah. you come home and you're like, no, dude, these are Americans that were, we have warrants that a judge trusted us with the information that we presented the judge. So we're not fucking lying to these court authorities, right? These figures that we've put into office and were elected by the people. So now we're going to raid uh, American houses, American homes. So treat these people like Americans. It's not this like motherfucking people and kicking people around and treating them like shit. They're Americans. And this is something I preached a lot to my young coppers when I was teaching them there it's like you got to treat people the right way man because you're going to get a lot more back but you still have to be aggressive if you have to be aggressive but from teaching there and being able to do to, to kind of pass that knowledge on at the academy was a really cool it was really cool that it started to, to zero in on how i was going to become an instructor or a, a coach or a mentor or a teacher in the private market 
because I was able to see how law enforcement did it, how the contracting world did it, and then how the military did it. And I was like, well, how do I look at all this, clean it up, and then make it so that I can provide the best, most cleanest, useful product. And so for me, it was lucky that I got to touch on just about everything everybody ever wanted to do. And then now I get to teach it all and present it in a way that makes sense for the civilian market because they're not out clearing. So a great example, just so it all makes sense. CQB for law enforcement is different than CQB for military is different for the home defense guy who's uh, defending their home. Right. And the example is this for military, you learn how to clear in and out. For law enforcement, it's more in, but it's it's not kill. It's more capture. So it's understanding angles and not getting hurt and then capturing whoever's there. And then for home defense, it's clearing the structure from the inside out or from the outside in. But more than likely, it's from the inside out, right? You don't come clear your house if your door is open. You're kind of like sketched about it. Call the mm-hmm. cops. Let them do that, that portion of it. Unless obviously there's somebody in the house, right? Then you want to go help. If it's somebody that's home, right? Because it's very different. This is one that a lot of people don't understand. And you guys do. Obviously, uh, a home invasion is very different than a burglary, right? Mm-hmm. When there's people in the house, that's a fucking different monster, right? So yeah. if you're in your house and you hear shit cracking off and there's cars parked in the in the driveway, obviously they know somebody's home. So you got to be a little more careful. So these are all the conversations that I have. But being able to see things in all those lights really was like, man, how can I make this the best? And that's what led me to, to, to teaching. And before Rogue Methods, I was with another big company that I was able to learn everything. And I'm super grateful for that opportunity because I learned the business. I learned all the strategies that I needed. I learned I learned how to create a hiring process that was second to none. So everybody gets vetted and everybody gets put through this little bit of a ringer to become part of that team. And understanding travel issues, you name it, man, I figured it all out. Um, by helping build somebody else's program and then now shifting over to rogue methods, I get to implement all those lessons. And to me, it was like, Hey, what did I do? Well, when I was a young soldier, what did I learn? Awesome. Take all those lessons, apply them to the next, apply them to the next. Everything is a lesson that we shouldn't forget. And it's important that, and I know meditation sounds kind of like quirky or some weird stuff. I meditate often and I, I go back into those meditations and I look at all those years and segments and I still try to pull stuff from those times. I'm like, oh yeah, what was that awesome thing we did that one time? Oh shit. And I, I've forgotten so many things that unless I do something like that or my girlfriend says something, my fiance says something and it sparked the memory, I'm like, fuck, I totally forgot I did that. Oh shit, cool. <laughs> I remember all these things that I had forgotten because you do so much, man. Our short-term memory gets smoked. Um, and not everything makes it into long-term, right? Because we have so much to compute and process. Uh, so fast forward, now we're training civilians and or just anybody and everybody who wants it. Because I'm a civilian now. I, I, don't, I didn't mean that in a derogatory way. But we're all just citizens of this beautiful fucking nation. And I want to dump all of the information that I have out onto the public. And the mo- so the most cleanest, precise way that you'll actually retain shit. Because I can, I can get people, and you've seen it when, when we do drills as law enforcement. Uh, we're just going to ready up everybody to death <laughs> yeah. and then go home. We just shot 10,000 rounds and nobody learned shit other than I'm tired because I kept doing the same motions over and over. Right? So how can I maximize their learning? And give them the most value for their for their buck, but more than anything, their time because time's more valuable than money. You could always make more money, and so that's what Rogue Methods is. It was just this idea of how do I make everything that I learn digestible for just about anyone, and that's why one of the slogans for me is simplicity in all things. How can I simplify this that you can go home and teach it to your family that same night? Uh, but training is my thing, man. I love training. I love teaching. And my biggest fear is 
passing too soon that I didn't pass all my fucking knowledge on to somebody else so that somebody else can then benefit from it. Mm. So that's my little philosophy is get it all out. Absolutely. So you're training mostly civilians right now? We, we do law enforcement. We do military. I did a contract uh, not too long ago with uh, some military guys that are going back overseas to train the police forces of, in other countries. And they just didn't want their equipment stolen, taken, or guns taken from them if somebody does flip switch. So we do a lot of that, weapons retention, uh, weapons recovery, and then weapons domination in the sense that we take guns away from other people. And so that's what our program highlights, that close contact gunfighter program. And that's what they were after. They're like, hey, we don't want our guys easily stripped of their equipment. And if it is stripped by a lucky shot, how do we get it back in time before they start using it? And so we do everything. You name it, man. I do uh, officer, the tactical officers associations for random states whenever they pop up or they request it. We do free seminars for law enforcement just because it's important to just give back for guys that uh, I think what people don't understand about law enforcement, right, is that they have real lives <laughs> outside of just law enforcement. Right? Yeah. They could yeah. be going through divorces. They could be going through children taken away. They can be going through all these things, all the same problems you go through and we all have been through. Uh, and then they have to go and deal with somebody else's problems. So the fuses are shorter. So not that they want to be short or angry, but they have fucking lives. And I always told people that like, Hey man, sometimes if a copper's got an attitude, it could just be something at home. So don't take it fucking personally, right? Brush it off, be polite and you'll get past it. But yeah, we, we, everything, you name it, we teach, uh, everyone and every, and anyone who is a legal law abiding citizen that wants to come on, fucking rock on and take some ass. And I, I promote a team environment individual learning in a team environment and everybody comes in we fucking we gather around in circle pits and we fight and we cheer each other on and high five everybody and fucking we're dirty and nasty and everybody goes home and then everybody stays connected and i hear back this is the biggest one and it's a metric that i'm starting to, to gauge and it's I'm, I'm tracking it little by little how much influence this this class has had on people to the point where people are joining crossfit gyms jujitsu studios kickboxing mm -hmm. They're joining all these gyms they would have never have joined had they not come and got a little dose. And I'm not saying it's all me, right? Because it's already an interest of theirs. The class just happened to like, it was the spark that actually lit the fire. And then now they're like, fuck yeah. And I'll get emails. Hey, I joined a jujitsu gym and I just put my three kids in it. And I joined a, a, a wrestling gym, you know, like that's inspiring to me. And that's why I do it every fucking day. Yeah. So we were talking before we even hit the record button, man. And you said something that made me laugh out loud because I said, man, you, what what haven't you done? Because, man, like if you if you just look up Raul Martinez, you're going to see him in the octagon. You're going to see all sorts of like you've done a lot of shit. And you said you said something that was pretty darn funny, if you can remember what you said. Oh, dude. So uh, all of, <laughs> I do remember uh, my whole goal. And it, it's more for the dudes, right? I want dudes to do fucking cool shit right stop being a pussy sitting at home getting fat there are so many things you can accomplish as a dude and i guarantee you in three months you could accomplish any one of those things you're after realistically right if you want to be donald trump you're not going to do that in three fucking months that's legacy shit um but you can definitely get a corporate job and wear a fucking suit in three months and be a fucking badass you can get in the cage and fight I had three months to prepare for a fight. I hired some dudes that were awesome. Not even hired. I, I linked up with dudes that are awesome. They're still my fucking close friends now. I went and fought an MMA fight against a dude 20 years younger than me. Fuck, I didn't give a shit. I just wanted to fight. A lot of what stops guys and holds us back is this like perceived image of who we are at home. Where like, you're, you're the rock star at home, right? So you don't want to fail because then it might degrade you there. Hey man, prep your family. 
be like, check it out. I'm going to do some new shit. So, and then I want you guys to cheer me up. And then they're going to become your biggest fans and supporters. My girl was there for my fight. I was fucking nervous as could be. The kids were there. I was like, shit, they're going to watch me do this thing. <laughs> this is going to be awesome, right? And now that's a memory that they have that they were there to go see and do that. And they remember me working and training two, two, two training camps a day and, and going for three months. And then, So not only are you showing them work ethic, you're showing them that things can be accomplished. And then you're showing your crew, your people, your friends that you're a fucking dude. You're a fucking man. You don't have to be a little biatch hanging out at home, man. I'm telling you, dude, you can be fucking yeah. awesome and you can accomplish shit as long as you're willing to fucking put in a little bit of work. So, see, and man, I, I love the everything you're talking about. You have a positive mindset, even if you go in and you go, man, I might fail at this, but you're gonna learn so much from it. And like, I just think so many people listening. I hope this inspires and encourages people to go. You know what that. That thing I've been wanting to do, whatever that thing is, whether it's, you know, learn how to fucking ride a mountain bike down a mountain or join a BJJ gym and get into, you know, whatever it is, man. But like, yeah, like you said, man, just just go do it. You know, fail, fail, fail until you don't. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. back. It's back to that thing like we were, I was talking about earlier with insecurities mm -hmm. where someone feels insecure because they're like, now I got to get out of my comfort zone. Like you said earlier with or you said a few minutes ago like you're this person who has accomplished some things at home and now it's like oh well, if i go try something new what happens if i fail now it either shadows a fragile e ego or you go like ski set and you learn and go oh okay i'm gonna double my efforts and come back or yeah i tried it i fought i lost now i'm gonna go on and, and do something else it's gonna be whatever it is i i have a running joke and people are tired of hearing it but i'm always like Hey, when I finish writing this novel and I'm a New York Times bestselling author and people are like, yeah, 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 whatever. But the funny thing is, and I'm saying it now on the podcast, it's that's going to happen. It just may not happen in six months. But it, I mean, it, it will definitely happen. But it's that idea of putting forth the effort and getting out. Like, I, I'm cool with failing. I'm cool with, you know, uh, publishers rejecting my stuff until eventually I can get it published and get what I want. But the same thing there is like, go out there, do what you want to do. It feels good when you go out there and either fail at something, but you gave it 110%. Or when you actually accomplish those goals and go, damn, that's pretty cool. It's almost like a, a it's a, well, it definitely is a natural high where you go, ah, and you get addicted. Like for me, I got addicted to it at a very young age. I was 13 the first time I walked into a tobacco field and started working and earning my own money. And it was almost like that, like, okay. I wasn't supposed to be working at 13, but I did. I got paid, you know, I toughed it out that year and it just builds on that. So I, I like it. I love, that's the whole reason I'm on Instagram. Like we talked about earlier before the show, yeah. I started following your stuff. I'm like, see, this is what I like. I don't want to hear anything about politics on Instagram. I don't need people to tell me how horrible police are or how horrible the society is or people. It's like, no, tell me how great people are. Tell me how positive life is and then show me how we're going to actually build things. And when I see when I see rogue methods out there traveling around and posting videos of people scrambling around, guys and girls, that's the thing, too. Like, like, yeah, like, like you said earlier, like go out there and do some man stuff. It's like I see some some women mixing it up on your videos down in, in the in the sawdust and the dirt grappling over pistols. Cause that's how it is in the street. You know what I mean? Like it's, it, it nobody cares about gender, male, female, trans, like cops are going to put in work. 
there it is. Like mix it up for anybody listening right now. Don't do it now. Do it later. But when you go on Instagram, scroll through those reels and those videos on, on rogue methods and you'll see some, some badass stuff. And I've actually, when I reposted some of your stuff, people are like, Oh, oh who is that dude? What's that, what's that all about? Because like I said earlier, they're used to flat range or they're used to, I, I want to say this tactfully. There are people out there who train other people or who teach and it's about them building their ego up. You know, it's like them going out and, and basically telling you how bad they are, how tough they are, or whatever. It's not that transfer of knowledge. And I right. see that in your videos, like that, that transfer of knowledge and people getting excited. And then other people who I, who have posted going to your class and they're just like, it's, it's friggin' phenomenal. Like it's, it's, and probably because a small group too, it's not some big 300 person, you know, um, college classroom where you're just making bucks to talk or you're on the range running 30 people in drills, you know, and then, uh, afterwards it's like, cool. Uh, I collect my money and I move out. Yeah. I, I could be wrong, but that's what it seems like a, like a bonding thing. Like people are like, all right, almost like a movement, if that makes sense. Like, you know. That's that's what I'm, I mean. That's what I'm after is the idea that we can we can be all these strangers coming together, and we have a hard ass day, and then now you're no longer strangers. You're all people that like each other, respect each other. Just went pretty much eighty to ninety percent full out power on each other, and laughed about it, even though you just <laughs> shot the shit out of somebody with sim rounds, yeah. right? And yeah. if people get wrecked, and people don't get wrecked. I mean, we had a great weekend this last one in San Diego or just outside of San Diego. And there was these two female officers. And it's funny because they're both pretty high up in their their um, departments. I think one's like a canine supervisor and the other one's a SWAT team, perhaps something mm -hmm. like that. But uh, they were like, shit, if our department knew what we were doing, they wouldn't have fucking sent us here. <laughs> so I kind of laughed at that first off. Yeah. They're like, this is some different ass shit. Because I do do something that uh, a few things that are a little outside the norm that yeah. that are special to the class but they they only pertain to what we're doing right so i would never do something hazardous outside of the realm of you having to understand a concept or a principle that we're trying to convey in training but all those things i think when people start to see and they free their mind i always say free your mind about things instead of like center mass high center mass shots high center mass this everything high center chest man i'm, I'm liberating people's mind that if you're in a scuffle and your pistol's out and you're protecting it and their hand is available, shoot the fucking yeah. hand. If their elbow yeah. is available, shoot their fucking elbow. Shoot them uh -huh. in the knee, shoot them in the foot. You know, put that fucking first round somewhere and start modifying their behavior via these pain fucking thresholds. And then you can clear your malfunction and put something somewhere else. Little by little, you're going to win this game, right? Uh, and then they're like, oh, shit, I can do that. But when we see it happen in class, that's the yeah. fucking gem right there. And yeah. it happened in this and it happened in this class. I do this standing style weapons retention specifically for CQB to protect the gun from anything coming towards it. And the dude lunged for the gun and the other guy retracted the gun, got the round off, cleared the malfunction, protect the gun again, got pushed over, fell on the ground, made space, and then lit the dude up after clearing a malfunction, falling on his back, and then just shot yeah. the dude. And I was like, that's what I wanted to see. Your ability <laughs> to do some of the shit we drilled all day long. And to me, that's, that's when curriculum start to make sense, when they can be drilled and then applied by the end of the day not oh 10 years from now you'll be a gunfighting black belt which that's yeah. that's too late right like if you came for this class you came because you need something right now here's some <laughs> shit that works real quick 
And then you can always build upon that. And I, and we saw it in the class and everybody was like, Oh shit, you should have seen everybody's like cheering them on. They were all hugging each other. And that's what I'm after is this unity, this bond, bringing people together and making everybody happy. Like it's a thing. It can be done. I think people just have gotten lazy about it. And either it's about money or it's about egos. And I don't give a shit about either. I can fucking do jobs anywhere and make money. And I'm not a good looking dude. I'm not famous. I don't care about those things, but I'm really good at teaching. And I believe in the program that I have. And that's what I push. It makes it easy for me. And that's so cool. And you touched on something I always like to say when I'm teaching is uh, there's a difference between understanding and application, right? You have to get the basic fundamentals of understanding the concept, but then you have to be able to apply it, man. And like when your student you know, finally does it and the light bulb goes off and everybody sees what you've been preaching all day. And then like you actually do it, man, that's the magic of being an instructor. And that's what keeps you wanting to teach, you know, keeps you coming back over and over again. That's, that's just, it's fun, man. And that's the masterful part of it, right? When you realize how can I recreate this sooner in people? Like now you're cleaning up all the nonsense. You're not saying filler words. You're not wasting their time with stories. And I've been to those classes with high personality guys and it's like 17 stories that are irrelevant now because they're not even a part of what you're trying to teach me but they're cool (laughs) stories i get it right yeah Yeah. Uh, but i don't really give a shit about that story but i know what you're trying to say so it's either it's either stories or it's or it's learning and for me look i'll tell stories after the class we'll go eat dinner and i'll tell you all the stories you want to hear about chicago about the mountains of arizona the, the, the trials and tribulations of contracting in Jamaica and Barbados and doing weird shit in other countries. I'll tell you all about that offline when we're having a dinner together and we're actually, you know, we're, we're communicating in a different way, but you came to learn, let's fucking learn. And this is what I, I have you for six hours, seven hours. I'm going to give you everything I can. And that's, that's been the well-received message. That's where all the feedback that you guys are seeing as well. Everybody just loves it because we're there to work. I'm not there to, to fluff you with a bunch of stories. Uh, like I said, I'll tell all the stories you want after we're done training. Training comes first. That's what you paid for. That's what you're going to get. So it's, it's pretty yeah. cool. Well, that's the cool thing too. When, um, when Ski mentioned earlier about him going into uh, one of his assignments, being an instructor, people were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Why is this dude going to be an instructor? He's the gang guy. He's the drug guy. He had a very cool assignment at the time. And it was like, that's who you want to go teach. Yeah. You, know, you want that person passing on the basic skills, but also advancing that forward. You know, that idea of, yeah, we can work on our draw and, and changing magazines, but what else can we do? You know, like be, be more innovative. But that whole idea, like you, <clears throat> excuse me, like you had mentioned earlier, when people are teaching and they're there to just make money, they draw it out. So they draw out the time. So then they make it two or three days or, they draw out like the story. So then they don't have to do a whole lot of the teaching and some yep. people fall for it and then go, now I was really entertained. That was a cool class. It's like, yeah, but what did you learn? You know, yeah. I'll walk into a classroom and I, I'll teach uh, electives. So I do a lot of gang stuff. And the cool thing is I can apply and create my own classes, right? Like I, I don't, I don't teach somebody else's curriculum and I actually bring in gang members and former drug dealers to help teach. So if I'm teaching a class on a certain gang, I've got an informant over there with their face covered up, you know, and introduce them under an alias. And then we, we present a block, they answer questions and then they, they move out, you know, in the next day or the next block, we got somebody else in. And so the feedback on that was the same thing where people were saying, 
this is this is absolutely crazy because now you're actually bringing gang members in and we're talking about this stuff and we're exchanging ideas and what what i noticed was the officers the deputies the agents were like oh now i've never even really sat down and talked to a gang member like they're surrounded by gang members on the street but it's like they never just sat down and talked to them or listened to why somebody would join a gang or do whatever it's the whole idea though of not sitting there and teaching someone else's curriculum designing your own thing because that's what people need like i never had a class like that i never got that knowledge it was we had to learn it and develop it so that's what's so cool like when i started watching your stuff i'm like he's doing the exact same thing in firearms retention and um you know basically the skill set that he knows but then he's also you know bringing something completely different into it disrupting this whole idea that's what i was drawn to and that's why I was telling Ski, you know, when we first started making a list of guests, I was like, dude, we got to get yeah. on because it, it is like a, a version of us elsewhere. And yeah. too, like the, the whole idea when you talk about you don't have to be a cop or a police officer forever for your 20 years or 30 years, do a couple of years, go do something else, go be successful somewhere else. I do want to say you're wearing a, a shirt. Do you sell merchandise at class or can people get it on a website or what? Uh, so this shirt, this is, this one specifically, it's a, it's our team shirt. It's our, you, you got to fight in one of the classes and I gift it to you personally after mm. you accomplish the day. So you can't buy this one. And then uh, I give it to everyone who fights in our program. And it's one of those things, like I see it at like Disneyland photos. I see it at dinner <laughs> with random people <laughs> yeah. uh, in photos. Right. And I'm like, I fucking know that shirt. And I'll give them a thumbs up. They're like, yeah, if you know, you know, like this is that fight shirt for this year. It's this color next year. Uh, it'll be a different color, but this specific one is the team fight shirt. If, if you get it, it's cause you fought. And I, if there's people that come in and they're kind of sketched out about the drills at the end and they're like, you know, I've been here all day, but I didn't do the final drills. You don't get a shirt. It's an earned shirt. And it's, it's, it's a, you take your rightful place within our people and people love that shit. And I love that shit. And that's why I made that thing. And like the rogue methods page, it only follows people who have been to our program, who I've, who have trained with me personally. It's Mm -hmm. for them, right? I don't have to follow anybody special on there. Only the people that have been a part of rogue methods. Uh, So for anybody out there that follows that page, that's butthurt about it. Hey, come to a fucking class. It'll follow you back. Uh, and that's are what you, that page is for. It's for the people. Are you, man. It's not, are you traveling all over the country teaching? Yeah. So Rogue Methods is, man, we're we're everywhere. I kind of do this, like I have this patterning that I do as far as like summer months and winter months. So when it's warm, I go north. When it's cold, I go south. And but we're, <laughs> we're everywhere. We have classes coming up in Michigan, Wisconsin, Florida. Where else? I mean, just you name it. We're, we're pretty much there. Texas, Pennsylvania. Uh, all of it's listed on the rogue methods, rogue dash methods.com website. And it's every, we have, I, I, what I wanted to do with rogue methods is just make it a core four core programs. So we have our structure defense, which is all of the CQBs shifted and molded to be what I think is the most important thing for somebody protecting their house or any structure. And that's our structure defense class, low profile carbine and low profile pistol. It's exactly what it sounds like. It's very UC, pick up and go. I have a gun, I have a mag, I have a mag in a pocket. Here we go. This is what you do. So you're not, you don't play carrier. You don't have shit on your belt. You don't yeah. have a mag in a fucking pocket and you have a fucking carbon and, you're, you're, and we're going. And it's all about yeah. movement and angle and performance. And pistol is the same way. Concealed carry, pistol, mag in a pocket. Here we go. 
And then the close contact gunfighters are, are our main program. That's the program that sets the company apart, I think. And what I did, because there are other companies, right? And kudos to all the other guys that are doing something similar, especially Craig Douglas, who's a legacy guy. He's been doing this for a long time. Um, Charnes, Brazil. There's a few other dudes who are doing this similar thing and they're doing it well. And I look up to them, right? I always look to see what other people are doing. And here's the gem of Rogue Methods and why I, this is my personal twist on rogue methods when i launched rogue um i looked at all of the training space i looked at the combative space i looked at the shooting space and i wanted to build a program that filled in the blanks so it wasn't competing with anybody and this is why there's no fucking quarrel with my brand i think it's fucking awesome i mean by design obviously right i was like how can i not mess with other people by jumping into this space well here's how Will you teach this? Cool. I don't wear play carrier, so we're not doing a play carrier fucking class. I don't teach this bullshit or that bullshit or this or this or that. Not in a negative way, just bullshit, 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 right? Yeah. Um, but I don't want to teach what you guys are teaching. I see your curriculums. I see what your drills are. I'm going to completely outline some brand new shit that nobody's doing so that people can get a fresh version of everything else while still being able to go to other people's programs and enjoy them just as well. So that's what I did with my stuff. I didn't want to compete with people. So in order to not compete, I went and I innovated what I thought was important. And that's exactly what we teach. We don't teach other random shit. We don't try to do ready up drills. We rarely do ready up drills and we just fucking change the game. I just wanted it to be better and not interfere with other people. Cause if they want to all do the same shit, I'm okay with that. Right. <clears throat> and I see it, I see my drills in other programs and I see some of my stuff in other places and I'm like, Oh, that's cool. I'm happy that they're adapting. Guess what I have to do? I have to make new drills. I have to make yeah. new cool stuff because that's my role in my company for my people. How can I innovate and continue to inspire and be cool and not play this stupid competition game or this shit talking game on other dudes? I mean, we all see it in the industry. It's rough. It's rough that grown men have time to do that. When I'm well, over here writing fucking curriculum, you could be doing that, you know? Yeah, that's what I like. Is that it's not it's not like a East Coast West Coast beef or nothing stupid like that. It's just you do your thing, and I think like um like Ed Calderon, like he's doing his training, and then every now and then like y'all cross post stuff or whatever. And it's like just support yeah. people doing cool stuff. You know what I mean? That are actually helping other people. Say, that's I mean, another. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right, and supporting the people that support you, and that's a big message that I push all the time. Uh, I don't have, uh, I'm not going to help other people just to help them it, because I don't have time for that. Like I have so much to do with my brand and what I want to accomplish for our people and mm -hmm. keeping everybody up to date. And then, but if there's people supporting me, I'll take the extra time to support them. It's just the way all things should be. I'm not going to waste efforts in places where it's, it's not, it's not necessary or it's not being uh, given back. Not that it, we do it for the, for the return. But I don't, I just, there's no time for that. So like when Ed, we, Ed and I talked and we launched a class together in Phoenix, that was easy. Cool. Let's do it. We have similar styles, similar everything uh, in the sense of how we teach. We're very low pro. Like I don't like wearing overt stuff. I mean, I wear, I have long hair. I have long beard. I, fuck, I look like just another dude hanging out somewhere, truly oil and fucking Birkenstocks, you know, like that's my jam. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm down to fucking brawl, you know, but more than yeah. anything, I'm down to teach. And that's that's the, the big one that when we talk and we have another collab class coming up in December where we're going to do blade medical gun stuff with organic mediums. So we'll have some some tissue labs where we get mm -hmm. to shoot, stab and control all that good stuff. Things that are 
And I'm saying it now just because it's fucking cool. We'll, we'll see it more in the future, but nobody's doing that shit right now. But yeah. uh, it's going to change how we understand blades and guns and flesh impact. So that's coming. Wow. And it's going to be a cool, cool deal. Yeah. Man, I just pictured you in your Birkenstocks, but then you go back to your DI days and you knife hand somebody, and then there's <laughs> mass confusion, right? Like this guy smells like a hippie. He's got Jesus yeah. sandals on, but he just he just gave me the knife. So you're hand, gonna man. have like, positive energy, you. Yeah, that's good, man. So, so if you're wearing if you're wearing Birkenstocks and you're hanging out, what are you listening to? What type of music? What you got? That's the the fun part, right? Because that that'll probably be some fucking old school power trip by <laughs> uh, Monster Magnet. Still my favorite band, man. I I don't know why. I when I turned on to them, I was like, hell yeah, these are my dudes. And then when I found out how they made that album, so basically they took all the earnings from their previous album, or they fronted them the money for that. They're like, hey, here's the amount of money you have to make this album. And they locked themselves up in a suite in Vegas with hookers and blow. And they wrote that Power Trip album. And that's why it's so badass, right? Um, it's yeah, fucking dude yeah. shit. I want to uh, be a rock like, star, but only for like two days. Like just to just be like, yeah, I've been there. I've done that. I remember recording that album. Yeah. And that, that album embodies everything that you would imagine being a rock star is being Absolutely. pent up in a fucking penthouse suite, just being a badass, right music. Um, between that and Garage Days from Metallica, those are my two like go to because it's all the covers that they they did right. Yeah, Hell yeah. yeah, yes sir. <laughs> um, man, Metallica and and Monster Magnet on one front, and then I have my Spanish super ranchero music from the fucking my mom's side and my dad's side of Mexico. So you have banda playing right, narco rap in Spanish basically uh, is another really good one. And uh, some of the local rap, man, I still listen to some of the Chicago rappers. One of these dudes, Young Pappy, he got smoked in Chicago, and there was a big out. Like, a lot of people got smoked after that guy got killed. But he he was an up-and-coming trap rapper, and he was good, man. He was good to the point where, like, I bought his album, and I was like, this is actually really good music. And uh, But, yeah, he got smoked. And then his brother got shot a bunch of times, drove himself to the hospital. He's like, well, I don't need no fucking ambulance. Fuck that guy. He's a tough did, he, dude. did he survive? He did. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like we, we tell people, nine man, times, right? But they survive yeah. that shit. Yeah, get, get, gang members will get shot, and they know throw the dude in the car, drive straight to the hospital, kick him out the door, and take off. And and at least where we are, dudes are getting shot, and they're in the ER within like ten minutes. You know what I mean? Because yeah. people know don't don't wait around for the ambulance. Like throw him in the car and let's go. Man, they're they're Damn built man. to survive though. I mean, honestly, it's a mindset, it's a mentality, it's the way they grew up. They're they're not scared of anything. They're not scared to die and they have the will to live, man. That's what it, that's, it's crazy. Cause you're always like, how do these people live this man? It's like, they're not thinking rationally either. You know what I mean? They're just in that survival mindset. I know. I just things, off topic, but. No, it's, it's super on topic, but because it makes sense. Cause you've seen it kind of like uh, we've all seen it in this route. When you see the little kids come out of school and they're shirtless and they're slap boxing, right? From one age to from one age to maybe from the youngest age that where they're already slap boxing to about ten, it's slap boxing, and then from like ten to fifteen, they're fist fighting, and mm-hmm. then fifteen on, they're shooting and stabbing each other, right? Yeah. In, in, in these communities, but they're programming violence in increments. Yeah. So they're getting better and better at it, where nobody else does that. 
so they're they're training themselves for things that they're preparing for in their life or their community that other communities they just don't have those things so we need to toughen up our kids so that they're not just being thrown into the mix with other communities like that not that some communities are softer than others but we all know that they are you just got to toughen your fucking kids up and then there's the personality <laughs> traits you ever play tag with those kids that you would tag them and they were like you didn't get me and they keep running yeah. remember those yeah. kids yeah yeah that's actually a fucking survival mindset trait, a personality trait, where people be, with that personality survive shitty encounters more than people who don't have it. And you find that in, in a lot of criminals. Like, they'll do dumb shit, and then they don't want to get caught, right? So they'll fucking <laughs> yeah. try and evade. But that's a personality trait that actually helps fucking people survive. Yeah, I, I was watching a, a surveillance video of a shooting once at one of our uh, local convenience stores that was just gang-riddled and open-air drug market, and... Watched it a couple times, and the dude that was firing off rounds, he actually, when his mag went dry, he either had a jam or his mag went dry. I watched him back up, kneel down, take cover in the in the front of a car that was in the parking lot, get his gun right, and come back up. And I know he had he wasn't training to sure. you know he wasn't going through 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 your classes and all that, but like his survival instinct was. My gun's out of battery. I need to get behind cover and go back up. And man, dude, yeah. it was amazing to watch because that was instinct. That was not training. That that right there is actually a good train. If you run across that video, man, send it. Unless it's department only, but there's there's something to that because I can and I say this jokingly in my classes, right? I can teach you how to clear malfunctions. The majority of the the, the most common malfunctions in five seconds. You ready? Mm. Unload your gun, reload your gun. Bam. I just taught you how to clear malfunctions. Right? Yeah. That's it. So what that dude did was like, fuck, let me get this shit out and let me get this shit back in. Yeah. It really truly is that simple. But sometimes instructors, legacy guys a lot, they like to start calling things like type 1 diabetes, type 2 this, type 3 that. And it really just is the gun is not firing. So unload it, clear it out, and then reload the gun. And it should start working for the most part unless you have something catastrophic, right? Um, so people always laugh at that. And that's what that dude basically did. He basically unloaded the gun and reloaded the gun, I'm assuming, so that that yeah. shit would work. And that's yeah. all we have to do. Logic and reason surpass any kind of dumb shit people try to invent, man. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, man. The, be the best part, though, when we were talking about music earlier <laughs> is uh, when you run across somebody who's like this hard gang member, they're worried about their image, and then you see their song list maybe in their phone. <laughs> and like we ran across one with a dude that was listening to system of a down and yeah. he's like he's like uh, uh don't don't let nobody know i listen to that man like he was <laughs> like worried that people would find out he wasn't yeah. listening to what everybody else was he's listening to system of a down that's like he's expanding his wings <laughs> yeah yeah he was like secretly listening to like different types of music he's like i don't want anybody knowing what i'm listening to Hey, let me ask a question all the way back to the beginning of this conversation. Do you still have family members in Mexico raising cattle? We do, but so the family has cattle, but they've transitioned into other businesses. So they're not slaughtering cows anymore and doing any of that. They still have the grocery stores and the, and the, the butcher shops. They passed that part of the job on to somebody else. And it was cool because... They, it was like a, a community working together, right? So we would slaughter the cows and produce the meat. And then we would give the raw hides to the raw hide manufacturer guys. And they would lay them out, dry them, shave them, and then form them into whips and rope. 
So like there was everybody worked together off of these animals. So it wasn't like you just slaughtered it and dumped everything and you would do the hooves would go over here and they'd boil them and make whatever they make out of hooves. And it was super cool to watch how the communities came together when they knew they were slaughtering one, two or three heads of cattle and everybody would start getting more work from it. But I remember being a kid and seeing all the raw hides just drying in the sun and then getting shaved down and man, so much cool stuff. But no, the family isn't doing that anymore. They still run shops. They still, we still have family down there. Um, but now they're just more uh, business owners than they are hard labor. <laughs> yeah, and I only <laughs> ask because because of the story you just painted, man. Is uh, you know, I think we're we're getting to a point in time where people are going to need those skills again, and and instead of throwing the rawhide out and you know passing yeah. that on and that that self sustainability and being self sufficient, man, I, that's why I ask. It piqued my interest because I want to know how to raise cattle. I want to know how to utilize that that animal for everything that I can do with it, and I just think it's really cool, man. Just getting back to the roots of uh, just how it used to be. And I think you're seeing a lot more interest in that now because people are starting to, you know, just current events and all that stuff going, you know, I might need to grow my own food. I may need to make my own, you know, whatever it is, but that's why I asked. And uh, yeah. And it's cool to remember those, those things, man. And just looking back, I, I remember drinking milk straight from the cow's tit with a scoop of fucking chocolate powder and just letting the milk squirting from the fucking otter just or, or the udder fucking foam it up and mix it for you and then just fucking powering it down that's just those were great times man i i i, I feel for my kids because they're never going to get these experiences so i have to tell them these stories this is why we we have podcasts right to share these stories mm-hmm. and try to remember and every time i like i'm gonna go and, and try to remember all my childhood shit now so that i can <laughs> remember to write this down or pass yeah. it down in one of my own podcasts but it it's such a, a a cool thing to try to relive those things for our kids because they're missing out on all the cool shit we did when times were just a little bit differently. And like, I remember seeing my uncle, we would slaughter every cow that he slaughtered. He honored it by drinking some of its blood. So mm. we did it halal style, right? You, you, you kind of tie the hind quarters, the hind legs, you would slice the throat open and then you would hang it and let it bleed out. So he would cup two hands, drink some of that blood, honor the animal, and then continue to process the animal. So he's this big jack dude, fucking monstrosity of a man. He's super cool dude. But yeah, I remember doing that. And the first one that I slaughtered, I drank the blood and we did the whole ceremony thing. And it was just to honor the animal. Like that's a thing, a missing part. Like kids don't know where stuff comes from. Like, Hey, let's yeah, you're get, right, let's get man. they're like, Oh, from the grocery store. I'm like, no chickens come from here, here, here before they even make it to the store. Um, but these are those lost arts that cities more than anything have created this, uh, detachment from our food sources but that's man, a whole I, just, I just came up with an idea man you might have to create another uh exclusive rogue methods t-shirt and you'll have a a, a cow at your training and somebody that wants to do their protein shake <laughs> right off the teat man and that's a whole nother t-shirt yeah dude that'd be fun so it's in spanish it's called pajaretes and it's a it's a celebratory drink on a sunday morning after a hard night of partying on a saturday you wake up and you put your drink of choice, vodka, rum, whatever, and then you shoot the milk straight into that concoction of alcohol and you cure your hangover by drinking cow's milk and vodka or cow's milk and tequila and you power that shit down and people do it all over the country. To this day, they still do it. They do it in the ranches out here too. Uh, it's pretty neat to see. But yeah, I don't feel like I'm awesome. living enough, man. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's it's wild man it's a good time <laughs> so we've barely touched the tip of the iceberg on anything and uh, bc and i want to do a whole bunch of shows that really deep dive into like kind of street cop methods and just patrol techniques and just investigative yeah. stuff man and i think the three of us could knock a few more episodes out of the park like yeah. that so i'm just foreshadowing a little bit man yeah, say when. I'd, it would be cool to stay on track. I know we're trying to cover a lot in one, but it would be cool to be like, hey, this is the theme of this and just get yeah. after it. Because I think between the conversation all three of us are having and the experience here, man, I think we would inspire young coppers to get into it, young coppers to do the right thing and actually get motivated about it again, right? Uh, more than anything, just changing their mindset. Dudes are just, they get grumpy and they let that shit weigh on them. Fuck that, man. There's there's a yeah. good way to approach this. And you can continue to be successful in this in this business as a copper uh, as long as you if you pay attention to the things that are important and nobody's talking about the important things everybody's focusing on all the bullshit right now and that's what has become the highlight when there's a bunch of other great things that come from being a copper I don't think I'd be where I am today if I didn't take the time to to dedicate those six total years of of everything from street patrol shit to <laughs> mountain deputy whatever was doing here is epic. <laughs> From the nasty, junk-filled city uh, alleys to the most beautiful sunsets in a patrol vehicle that I've ever seen in my life as a deputy. And two different worlds. But you, I would have never have done that and had the privilege to serve the communities, which it really is, uh, had I not taken the or taken the job. And people will miss out if they don't take the job. And I think they should see it and give it, give it a little bit of time. And if it's not for them, hey, move on. But at least now you know, and you'll have some shit that not a lot of people can have and say that they did. So I hope you guys fucking join some local department and make a fucking difference. Heck yeah, man. I'm just thankful for the Pelican, man. <laughs> Me too. That was fucking rude. Damn. That's what I'm saying. Ski, you got anything for us? You got oh, any music? Uh, I'm trying to think what, what I've been jamming on lately. And, uh, I mean, not, he's got me singing "Space gotcha, Lord, Mother, Mother." Monster Magnet, I, think, man. I think all three of us can agree. Everybody needs to go out and listen to some Monster Magnet. Hell yeah! Straight up, done and done. But the the what? on repeat for me, just so you guys yeah. know, it's uh, from Highly Suspect. My name is Human. That's been my jam outside of everything else but i'll put that on in the mornings and it just puts me in this right frame it's very it's got it's got powerful lyrics uh mm -hmm. basically like honoring the sun and taking the power from the sun and using it as a human to just be fucking alive it's a pretty epic song um my name is human by highly suspect really cool song mm -hmm. to start the fucking day that's the song i would recommend outside of the fucking power trip album by monster magnet <laughs> man we're gonna end it on that that that's that's awesome hell yeah that's that's what I like. Disruptors out.